Thank you for joining us for the Westport Road Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're located in Louisville, Kentucky, and we encourage you to visit our website at mywrbc.org, along with following us on Facebook. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as Pastor Chip Pendleton brings us the Word of God. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now, as I look around, I can tell that most of you all voted in the 1928 election. Uh, And uh, how many of you did that over here? Thank you. Thank you. A couple of you did, yes. Some of you are still voting, I understand. Yeah, yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. Vote early and often, they say. Well, in 1928, Herbert Hoover was talking about how American prosperity would continue if he was elected. As a matter of fact, he said that if he's elected, that he promises that something's going to happen to every single person in the United States, that there would be a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Wow, now that's a pretty good promise. You know, you've heard of big political promises before, but a chicken in every pot, a car in every garage. So guess what? Herbert Hoover was elected president of the United States. And in 1929, the stock market crashed, the Great Depression started, and just the opposite happened. But there was all of this hope, all of this this belief that prosperity was coming, but something somehow entered in and ruined all of that. And that's kind of what we see in our scripture passage. Uh, The story of mankind starts out with so much hope and so much promise in the Garden of Eden, but then it's pushed aside when sin enters into the world. We've been going through uh, the book of Acts uh, here on Sunday mornings, talking about resurrection living. And where we left off last week, Peter and John have been released by the religious leaders after being arrested. They pray for boldness to go preach in the midst of persecution. And uh, that's kind of where we left off after they had prayed for this boldness. A lot has happened since then in chapter 9. What has happened is a great persecution has hit the church. The church responds with boldness. And one of the early leaders of the church, a young man by the name of Stephen, stands before the religious leaders who put Jesus to death and embarrasses them by showing that what they believe is wrong and that Jesus is the Messiah. They respond to that by having Stephen stoned to death. So sometimes boldness doesn't lead you where you want it to lead you. Uh, Stephen is stoned to death at this particular time. And the person who is approving of Stephen's death is another young man by the name of Saul. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And the first thing we see is this. All of us make mistakes. All of us do things that are wrong. And all of us come short of what God would want for our lives. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of their killing of him. We're talking about Stephen here. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so we see that with the death of Stephen, a great persecution takes place. It's led by this young man by the name of Saul. And the persecution is so grave that all the Christians flee Jerusalem. They're just trying to get out. Uh, because they're being arrested, they're being beaten, and their homes and businesses are being destroyed by Saul and those who are with him at this time. 
we're told that Saul has a purpose in verse 3, and his purpose is to destroy the church. That is, his entire purpose is that he is going to destroy this new church that is there, and he's arresting both men and women, anyone who calls themselves Christians. That brings us over to chapter 9, where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that it may be found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he would take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So people have fled Jerusalem. All the Christians are trying to get away because they're being arrested and beaten. Their businesses destroyed. And several Christians flee to Damascus in Syria. When Saul finds out he's not just content with running them out of Jerusalem, he goes to the high priest, asks for the power to go to Damascus and any Christians he finds to put in chains and to bring them back to Jerusalem. So we see right here from the beginning, Saul is a pretty bad guy, okay? He's not a good guy at all. Any of us could look at him and say, this is a bad person. This is somebody you don't want to be like. This is somebody that's not good. And we could all talk about all the bad things that we see in Saul. The problem is, though, that if we begin to be honest and looked at ourselves, we would have to say there are bad things in us as well. It's easy to condemn other people. It's easy to look at other people. It's much harder to look at ourselves. Saul is an obvious example of things that are wrong. But then we begin to look at ourselves and we say, I'm not perfect either. I mess up all the time. I do things that are wrong. Do you know that uh, in a study that was just completed, 94% of women say they feel guilty constantly. 94%. 55% of men say they feel guilty. Now, you know what the difference is? Men are just dumber and not as introspective. That, that's, the, that's the difference right there. You know, men are more worried about what the ball game is, you know, instead of looking at life or, or something like that. Uh, but, but unbelievable stats, 94% of women, 55% of men feel guilty all of the time. A perfect example is a, an actress I know everybody here has probably heard of by the name of Jessica Alba. Got a picture of, here, uh, of her right here. Jessica Alba uh, unbelievably has done so many things in her life, and she's just now getting around 30 years of age or so. Jessica Alba is, a, is one of the biggest movie stars in all of Hollywood. Not only that, she was voted one of the 20 most beautiful people in the entire world. She started a company called The Honest Company, which is all organic products. That company, you see her on the cover of Forbes here, has made her personally over $200 million and is now a billion-dollar company. So here you have a successful Hollywood actress, you have one of the most beautiful people in the entire world, and you have an entrepreneur that's made over $200 million personally in a business that she started. And you know what Jessica Alba says? Every day, all day long, all I feel is guilty. I feel guilty about everything. I feel guilty when I go to the grocery store and I didn't bring my bags. I feel guilty because I decided not to breastfeed my child. I feel guilty because I feel like I used too much gas in my car and it's ruining the carbon footprint. I feel guilty because I don't spend enough time with my husband because I'm so busy. I feel guilty because I'm not centering on my career and my career is is hurting because I'm spending so much time on my business. Guilty all day long is how she said she feels. Isn't that just awful? Somebody that has everything in the world that we would look at and think has a perfect life and says, all I do is feel guilty all day long. 
But that's where a lot of us are. We look at our lives and we see how we've messed up and we realize that all of us fall short of the glory of God and we feel guilty. It's easy to look at Saul and see how he was, but when we look at ourselves, we realize the same thing. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. No matter what you may have done, no matter how many times you've done it, God loves you and will not stop pursuing you. You may have messed up over and over again, but God loves you and God will continue to pursue you no matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, or the kind of things that you have done. Now, for our graduates this morning, what I would say from the first part is this. You are going to mess up in life, okay? Uh, You're not going to get everything right. Uh, There will be times that you wonder, why did I do this, or that was stupid, or whatever. You're going to mess up in life. All of us mess up. None of us are perfect people. But the good news is, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter what it may look like, no matter how deep you think it may be, God is always going to love you, and he will always be there for you. Let's see how we see that in our scripture passage. So Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And let's see what happens to him uh, down in verse 3. Chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. So he's on his way to Damascus. This bright light shines out of nowhere. It knocks him to the ground. The light is so powerful. And and he hears a voice that says, why are you persecuting me? Now, he has no idea who this is. Obviously, it's somebody pretty important that can call down a light out of heaven, okay? And so his response is, who are you, Lord? Because he knows whoever this is, it's somebody uh, pretty powerful, some kind of God that is doing this uh, thing to him And then in verse 5, he gets the answer he would not have wanted. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. That's the worst answer Paul could have ever gotten. Who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Why was that the worst answer he could have gotten? Anybody have a clue? Because he's trying to kill anybody that follows Jesus. And now he's just been told this Jesus that you've been fighting against and arresting everyone that believes in him is really true and alive and is now talking to you. So if you're Saul, what do you think your future holds? It's not very good, is it? Okay, this is not good. You know, this is as bad as it could be. You know, this is not what I wanted to hear. And so he's thinking, man, judgment big time is coming upon me because God has shown up and I'm actually fighting against God at this time. We're told in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard sound but didn't see anyone. So they saw a light, heard sound. They didn't hear the words though. Saul got up from the ground, opened his eyes, and he could see nothing. Now what's he thinking? The judgment started. I've just been blinded. And they were, he was led by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. Now, before we go any further, why do you think God lets this go on for three days? Is he trying to teach Saul anything here? Yeah, what do you think Saul was doing in those three days, blinded? Lord, I am so sorry. I didn't know this. If I would, you know, I'll make it up to you. Don't, you know, don't sentence me to hell forever. He's probably beside himself in terror right now of what God is going to do to him. Because what we think is this. God looks down on us 
And he sees the things that we've done. And he's so angry and disappointed in us that what God wants to do now is judge us and get us back because we've been bad boys and girls. But there's nothing that could be further from the truth. God feels the exact opposite of that. He didn't intervene with Saul here to judge Saul. He intervened with Saul here to save Saul and bring him back to him. God is not in the business of judging. God is in the business of saving. Okay? Why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The next sentence says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saul was not intervened with to judge him, but to save him. We're always thinking God's angry with us. God God doesn't like what I've done. God is out to get me. When the truth of the matter is God loves us and would do anything to bring us back to him. And that's what we need to see and understand in our scripture is that no matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, God loves you and will not pursue you, will not stop pursuing you. That's something our graduates really need to hear. As we mess up, as we do things that are wrong, as we don't get it right, to understand you're never going to be away from God's love. You will never get to a point that God will stop pursuing you or stop caring about you. And do you know why? Because two things are true in this world. The one thing that is true is that all of us are sinners and mess up. We all get it wrong. But the other thing that is true that we forget about is that you are created in God's image. You are God's child, and he loves you with a passion, and he would do anything for you. And so we look at this world, and we think, God's up there. He's angry with me. God's looking at the world, and he's saying, you're my child. I created you. I loved you. I would do anything for you. I want you to come back to me. And so we begin to see the world in a little bit different way when we do that. Let's go on and see the third thing uh, that we find in our scripture passage. And that is this. One of our problems is that we're willing to take grace for ourselves, but we're not willing to give it to others. Now, what I've told you sounds good if it applies to you and it applies to people you like. God loves me. God forgives me no matter what. God's always going to be there for me. We like that. I'll accept it. Give me more. What we don't like is when God gives it to people we don't agree with and we don't like or people who are our enemies. We don't want them forgiven. We don't want them saved. We want God's grace for ourselves. We don't want to give it to others. Let's see how that plays out in our scripture passage with verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 10. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he said. And the Lord said to him, go to the house on Judas Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying, and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming, placing his hands on him and restoring his sight. So Ananias, good disciple, God appears to him in a vision and says, Ananias, there's a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, and then he gives the street address. He's at 9705 Westport Road. He said, that's where he's at. Go to the house. He's been given a vision that a guy named Ananias is going to show up and heal him. Now, what Ananias does is he figures, well, you know, there must be some information God doesn't know here. God must not realize who this Saul guy is. So I better inform him so God has a better idea of what's going on because this guy should be judged, not forgiven. So Ananias 
tries to explain to God what's going on in verse 13. Lord Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name. So Ananias is trying to fill God in a little bit. You know, God, I know you missed it, but this guy saw he's actually a bad guy. Do you know that he's here to arrest people who believe in you? So you really don't want him forgiven. You want him judged. I'm just trying to bring you up to snuff here, God, so, so you know what's going on. Now, this is, you know, I've given you advice when angels show up. I'm going to give you some advice when God speaks to you. Don't argue with him, okay? He probably knows a little bit more than you do as you get into it. So God very gently uh, says to Ananias in verse 15, go. That is with an exclamation point, okay? Don't argue with me. Go do what I told you to do. This man is my chosen instrument. He's going to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a very interesting passage of scripture. You ever wonder why God chose Saul to be the witness to the Gentiles? Because this was going to be a tough assignment. He was going to be hated. He's going to have his life in danger all the time. It was going to be a tough, tough life. And you know what God knew about Saul? When Saul was forgiven, he was going to have the same passion in preaching for him that he had in trying to destroy the church. And so Saul was, it didn't matter what was going to happen. He may suffer a lot, but he was going to do whatever he was told to do because he was a passionate person. But what do we see here in this back and forth between God and Ananias? We saw Ananias divided the world into two separate groups, good people and bad people. And all of Ananias' people were good people. All of the other people were bad people. And that's still the way we divide the world up today. There's good people and there's bad people. And bad people need to be judged because they're bad. And so Christian protesters go out and hold signs like this one right here. God hates you. Now, who thinks that's an encouraging sign? Man, That's a message we can all get behind. Let's go to the world and tell everybody, you don't understand. You're a bad person, and God hates you. Who who got the warm fuzzies when I started preaching that? Anybody? But that's what happens when we divide the world into good and into bad. All we think of is, well, you've done bad, and God hates you. But that's not how God divides the world up. You know how God divides the world up? My precious children, my babies that I created who have come home and those who haven't found their way home yet. That's how God divides the world up. There's my children that have come home to me and are safe and secure and I'm taking care of them. And then there are my children who are still out there by themselves and hurting and in danger. And I would do anything to bring my kids back to me again. Jesus died on the cross suffering for you. Do you remember the story of the night of the 100 sheep and one sheep got lost and what did the shepherd do? He left the 99 sheep and he looked for the one. So if you're the only person in this world that would have wandered away from God, he would leave the rest of the world just to look for you. 
And that's what he's trying to get Ananias to see. Ananias, you know, do what I tell you. There's not good people and bad people. There's people who've come home and people who haven't heard about home and know to come. Go tell them that. And so he sends him to Saul. You want to know how God feels about you? Uh, A gorilla at the Smithsonian Zoo in Washington, D.C. had a, a baby this week. Anybody see in the video of it? So neat. When, when, she was, when she took the baby for the first time, she cradled it in her arms. If this was a video, you'd see she pulls it up and she kisses it over and over again. We just kiss it and pull it back, kiss it, pull it back. And then after that, she takes the baby, lays down, and takes a nap holding the baby. Her precious baby that's just been born, and a gorilla feels that kind of love and that kind of care. You are God's precious baby. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. And I don't care how bad it is. You're still God's baby. He created you. He loved you. He sent Jesus to die for you. And he will never stop searching for you. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. When we accept God's free gift of forgiveness, it changes our whole life. When we accept God's free gift of forgiveness... It changes our whole life. So let's see what happens uh, in our scripture passage. Down to verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul. Now right there, can you see the difference? He was bad guy Saul persecuting the church. And now what is his name? Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, took some food, and regained his strength. So he goes to Saul. The the miracle takes place. Saul receives his sight once again. So is that the end of the story? Does Saul now say, wow, I now know that Jesus uh, is the true way. I'm forgiven of all of my sins. So now, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday mornings. And know that I'm going to heaven. Is that what Saul does? No. Knowing that he's forgiven changes everything about his life and how he reads, lives it. Now, we're not going to go on and read the rest of this chapter. But let me tell you some of the things that happens in it. The first thing that happens is that as soon as he leaves the house, he joins the rest of the Christians in Damascus. He starts worshiping with them, fellowshipping them. The second thing he does is he goes to the synagogue in Damascus and he starts arguing with the leaders there and showing them that Jesus is the Messiah. And he is so powerful in what he's teaching, they can't refute him. And so their response is to try to kill him. And they put together a group of people who say, we will kill Saul when the morning comes. The church finds out about it, and they lower Saul in a basket over the wall, and he flees to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he tries to join the church there. They won't let him be a member. Why won't they accept him as membership in First Baptist Jerusalem? Because he's been trying to destroy the church. And so they said, we're not letting you in here. We're not letting you near us. And then a man by the name of Barnabas, a good man, goes and gets Saul, finds his story, takes him to the other disciples and said, man, this guy has been saved. He's our brother and sister. Let him in. The church lets him in. 
Then he goes to the temple in Jerusalem and starts arguing with the people who had killed Jesus and showing them that Jesus is the Messiah. So guess what they want to do to him? They want to kill him. And finally, he has to flee Jerusalem and go back to where he was born in Tarsus, thinking it's all over. But it's not, because he will become the greatest missionary that Christianity has ever seen. Why does it all take place? It happens because of the forgiveness that changed everything about him. Now, you can accept God's forgiveness, and it can just be, okay, I can go on, and I can do whatever I want to do. Or you can take God's forgiveness and say, this has changed me, and now I'm going to change everything around me because of it. Saul found a forgiveness that changed him and everything about him. For those of you that listen to Christian radio, has anybody here ever heard of the Wally show? Oh, wow. Well, mainly this section. You all don't listen to Christian music over here. Okay, some of you do. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know what I'm doing up here. But, all right. The head of the Wally show is a guy by the name of, thank you. Thank you. It's a guy by the name of Wally. Wally irritates me, I'll have to admit. But, but regardless of that, uh, regardless of that, you know, I was reading Wally's testimony. Saw a little video about his testimony. It was really interesting. He started out as a shock DJ uh, in, 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 in secular radio. And he said his job was to tear down other people. And so he would comb through the headlines every day, trying to find things about Hollywood stars or politicians. And then his whole show in between playing music was to tear down people and say things that shocked other people. And he became really famous, was making a good living, making a lot of money. But he said he hated the person that he was. Because whenever he met anybody, that just stayed in his mind. What can I find against you? Now, how would you like that? Hey, uh, this is Chip. I wonder what I can find against him when I'm talking to him or something. And he said that, that began to color everything. His wife was a strong Christian at the time, uh, began to say, man, I don't like the person you're becoming and how you're treating people. Because she said he even started treating his friends that way and would talk about them when they came home. And finally, he got to that point where he'd accepted Christ, started attending church, and it began to bother him a little bit about what he was doing on the radio. So he said, well, I'm just going to step away and do something else. He tried to do that. And you know what he found? Couldn't make that kind of money doing anything else. And after a while, he went to his wife and said, man, I know this is going to be hard on us, but I'm going back and being a shock DJ again. He said, that's the only only thing I know how to do. And she says, you're teaching the 11th grade Sunday school class. You're going to be a shock DJ again? And he said, it's okay. He said, you know, I'll do the best I can. And so he said he got back into that world and began to change him again. And he said one day he went into Sunday school and one of the kids said, man, we heard you on the radio this week. You were hilarious the way you ripped into so-and-so. And And he said he told them, guys, don't listen to my radio show. Why would you do that? And then he went home and he told his wife this, I'm going to have to stop going to church because we can't make the money we're making if I keep going to church and feeling guilty like this all the time. I've got to have the right attitude when I go into work. And she said to him, it's not worth the money. Walk away. And he said he made the hardest decision he ever made in his life. And he quit. And he got down on his knees and said, God, forgive me of what I've been doing and the way I'm living. And he said he went home that day. He had no job. 
His wife just had a part-time job, and he said, man, this, this is awful. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. Three months after he quit, he got a call from a Christian radio station that said, how would you like to be a DJ? And he said, well, I guess you've never heard any of my other tapes, right, if, if you want me to be a Christian DJ. But he wouldn't end up going on that show, started something called The Wally Show. Today it's the number one Christian radio show uh, that's on the air. And he said it's changed everything. And he looks back and he said it all started when he went to God and said, Lord, I don't care what it costs me. I'm throwing it all on the line. Please forgive me. And when that forgiveness came in, his life looked different and everything changed. You've got to understand that in your life, you can try to fight your sins. You can try to make them better yourselves. Or you can lay them before God and say, forgive me when I don't deserve it. And find true grace and true forgiveness. And when you really understand what grace and forgiveness is, it will change the way you live your life. Just as it changed Wally's, just as it changed Saul's, it will change yours. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love and forgive us. Help us, Lord, to to accept that forgiveness, to seek it, and then, Lord, to live a life that says we are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. One of the things you could do this morning is just look at your life and say, Lord, what do I need to bring before you this morning? What do I need to say forgive me of right here and right now? And, and just lay it before God, whatever it is. God, th- these are the things in my life that are holding me back. I've tried to get better. I've tried to change them. It's not working. I just need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And just put it before him. Maybe your problem this morning isn't your own sins. You're great at asking for forgiveness of them. It's for you forgiving some other people. Maybe there's people in your life right now that you need to say, Lord, you've forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Help me forgive them when they don't deserve it. And you just give that to God now. You can come at this time, pray at this altar about things going on in your life. Uh, We have ministers that would love to pray with you. You can come and join this church and say, I want to be a part of what this church is doing. And the most important thing is to come and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life, to follow him in baptism. But this is your time and opportunity So we stand together and we sing this song.
Congratulations to all of our graduates as you go out. Uh, go out knowing that even though you may mess up, that you have a God that loves you and forgives you and restores you. Let's have a prayer. Father, as we go out now, we know that this isn't going to be a perfect week for any of us. We're going to have some shortcomings and things that we do wrong and things that we kick ourselves for. But, Father, in all of it, we know that your love continues, that you'll never stop pursuing us. Father, help us to not just take that love for ourselves but then to reach out to others and offer them the same love you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you have prayer needs or want more information about Westport Road Baptist Church, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org. Please join us for Sunday morning services at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. Finally, if you can't join us in person, Both services are available through the video stream online, both on our website and on Facebook. View the service live or later on, and the entire worship service is available. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.